Welcome to Diverse, the podcast for the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Are you taking full advantage of your SWE membership? Your membership grants you access to SWE Advanced Learning for career and life. Your membership unlocks free and discounted on-demand content 24 hours a day from around the world. The SWE Advanced Learning also has live learning. With multiple tracks, Advance offers something for every career and every stage of your career. SWE's many offerings feature subject matter experts from a wide variety of thought leaders in STEM and leadership. When you want to skill up, turn to Advance first. Access learning at advancelearning.swe.org. Hello, I'm Karen Hording, Executive Director and CEO of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's podcast, Diverse. Please subscribe and follow us on social media. Visit swe.org for more details. Well, I'm joined today by Jay Shree Seth, a corporate scientist at 3M and 3M's first ever chief science advocate. In her role as chief science advocate, she speaks to the results of the 3M State of Science Index, which is global research on the public perception of science raises awareness and appreciation of science in our daily lives, and advocates for diversity in STEM. Jay Shree is no stranger to SWE. She delivered the Celebrate SWE keynote in 2019 in Anaheim and was the SWE Achievement Award recipient in 2020. She is also the author of the book, The Heart of Science, Engineering Footprints, Fingerprints, and Imprints, published by SWE in 2020. And I am really excited to share that her new book comes out on International Women's Day on March 8th of this year. And I'm proud to call her not only a colleague, but a friend. So thanks for joining us today, Jayshree. Oh, thanks for having me again, Karen. I was just thinking about it as you were talking. It was in summer of 2020 that we did our first podcast. And then we did a virtual fireside chat in November when the first book came out. So I'm really excited to be back chatting with you. And I appreciate the partnership with SWE and friendship with you. Well, I got to know you at that 2019 conference in Anaheim. I think we sat next to each other at the Celebrate SWE banquet where you were delivering the keynote. And the one thing that has always drawn me to you is your infectious positivity. And I know that when I hear from our members, they comment about that as well. So I know, I think we're going to probably touch on some of that as we talk, but I just wanted our listeners to know that that is something that I think has been probably key to some of your success. Thank you. So let's start by talking about your background a little bit and your career that you've had that's led you to writing. So how did you first get introduced to STEM? And then how did that connect with the books? It's interesting. You know, I've always wanted to write a book as long as I can remember. And uh, while growing up, I really never thought of myself as the typical science and engineering type, you know, the kind that like to play with tools and, and tinker with stuff or tear apart their toys. I was always more interested in the human context 
And I liked humanities-related subjects simply because I could relate to them more. And I loved creative writing. I wrote articles, I wrote speeches, I wrote poems and parodies. And I really wanted to help improve lives and make the world a better place. But at the time, I didn't necessarily associate engineering with such goals because I couldn't see the connection. But I grew up in a home with an engineer dad. I was surrounded by engineers on a college campus where he taught. So I had very strong parental guidance that actually directed me to engineering, despite what I perceived as my lack of affinity for the field. But, you know, fast forward, little did I know that I was the science type and I have done well. So in 2018, when I was appointed 3M's chief science advocate, I decided to use my podium to advocate for science with a contextual backdrop of my own story and my own experiences that we really need to give a human context to science. We need to advocate for diversity in STEM because I can't help but think about how many ideas, how many innovation, how many scientists and how many discoveries are we missing out on? because of how we track, how we teach, how we train, how we typify, and sometimes even talk about STEM. And many young women, many of them, those that I have met through SWE and many underrepresented minorities, they all have much more inclination towards pro-social goals. So we need to highlight that STEM fields allow you to fulfill those. So I started writing about these various topics, you know, advocacy, diversity, equity, the public perception of science based on the survey that we do at 3M to understand what the world thinks about science. And then when 2020 came, it was really a year of reckoning in many ways for all of us. And that's what prompted me to make a call to you in that summer. And I said, Karen, could we publish a book on some of the lessons that I have learned in my STEM career journey? And can we have all the proceeds go towards a scholarship for underrepresented minorities in STEM? And I still tell everybody there was no hesitation from your side, none. It was a done deal. And we launched at We20, the heart of science, engineering, footprints, fingerprints, and imprints. So I would say I'm not surprised that I wrote a book, but I'm surprised about how it came together, why it came together, and when it came together. So that's the long story of how I became an engineer and how the engineer became an author. Yeah, I think it was really the right time based on what we were seeing happening in the world. I think just for me, when I saw some of the feedback from women who had heard you in Anaheim, I mean, for some of them, it was life-changing. And I remember having that first conversation with you about the book and how surprised you were that some of the comments were from women quite advanced in their careers mm -hmm. and that this wasn't just an issue of early career women needing some of this advice, but really women across the career pathway needing mm -hmm. it. And so when we had that call, for me, it was a no-brainer mm -hmm. that we pursued it. Mm -hmm. So the first book was released, as you said, in 2020, but now we've got a second one coming out on International Women's Day. So just about a week and a half from now, from our recording. What was the motivation for this second book? Yeah. So as you just mentioned, you know, the first book is a collection of essays on Several big picture topics from my experiences, you know, as an engineer, a parent, a science advocate, and a thought leader. And when we were having this discussion, you had mentioned how critical it is not just for people who are starting out, but also those who are in their career. So 
in the first book, I cover themes such as, you know, the need for STEM advocacy, the convergence of STEM and humanities, and then also things that are very relevant to those who are in mid-career stages, you know, leading from your own rung of the ladder, regardless of what role you're in and developing that growth context. And these were some of the things that we had talked about at Anaheim. And you've also mentioned that it is a unique vantage point from which SWE members and scientists and engineers get to view the field as well as careers and gain leadership perspective, which I've been told is is not easily available elsewhere. Well, you fast forward to 2021, it was almost exactly one year after the first book was released that I had this amazing opportunity to meet the first recipient of the SWE scholarship funded from the proceeds of the sales of the first book. So it was an emotional day. I was actually holding back my tears, crier that I am, as I you know, embraced this young scholar pursuing mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech. And that happened to be the same school that my firstborn had attended, the same school where I was invited to give a prestigious named lecture. And it just so happens that the event is in person and I got this first opportunity to present to a live audience after this much time. And it was there and I get to meet her. I just thought it's a sign. I mean, what are the odds? Really? I thought, you know, the universe is sending me a message, one book, one scholarship, one student. It all started with the power of one. You need to write book two. So in fact, I actually did a LinkedIn poll and 86% of the respondents agreed that there should be book two. And 7% said no, and the remaining 7% said maybe. And that's when I thought, you know what? Maybe I need to call Karen Horting once again. <laughs> so my motivation with book two really is to provide perspective at this time of change. Because times of change are a great opportunity to look back at lessons learned. And the pandemic and everything that went on in the last two years has taught us some important lessons on many, many fronts. We have to be thankful for change and for the opportunity it brings. So really what is at the heart of my second book, Engineering Fine Print, is an attempt to go deeper on the topic of transitions, to thrive and survive amidst change and uncertainty, reflections to provide perspective, and then insights into the actions we can all take. And just like in my first book, I try to give memorable ways to remember the key takeaways. And then I take the next step from points to ponder that were throughout the first book. In this book, I explore what I call the fine print with each article throughout the book. And I really think it'll help people, specifically women, navigate STEM journeys and and life. Yeah, I love that. We know that a lot of our our members have used the first book for book club discussions. What do you want to convey with the fine print? And I think you've led into that a little bit with this idea of transition, but maybe building on that a little bit more, thinking about how a lot of our paradigms have shifted these last couple of years. And I keep reading so much about resilience and the ability to pivot and innovate during these challenging times. So maybe talk about that as it relates to the fine print. Yeah, I mean, I have really enjoyed the book clubs with the points to ponder, and I myself get to learn so much. So why fine print, right? Uh, Just like you said, the last two years have been interesting in many, many ways. And for me, it made me realize that regardless of what educational path we follow, And whatever career we end up in, 
real growth, true leadership, and self-actualization comes from getting in touch with our feelings and really dissecting them, you know, understanding our sense of identity and its evolution, and tapping into our needs at a very innate human level, and integrating these new learnings with our lived experiences so we can then work through transitions, deep reflections, and meaningful action. So at the end of the day, it is what is inside all of us, but it just takes time to to notice, to read, and to realize this fine print. And the pandemic time really put a lens on this. So actually, fine is an acrostic. Again, I love acrostics. So fine stands for feelings, identities, needs, and experiences. And that's what was brought to the forefront because there was this very unprecedented feeling of vulnerability. There was a sense of collective grief that many hadn't felt before. There was this need for social connection that we didn't realize. And like like you said, the need for developing resilience. There was a need for self-care, the desire to reconnect with nature. And there was creativity that blossomed during these times of uncertainty. And then, like we talked about last time, we also saw that the inequalities in society made us look at our own privileges that we may enjoy. And that helped us to develop a sense of empathy and gratitude. So, you know, a lot has changed. A new paradigm emerged in our relationship with that change. And we have responded to it, right? We have transitioned, we have reflected, we have acted, and we have done it organically. And and this should really give a new lens on life. And it's a very fine one. And it'll change forever the way we view, view change and how we pivot like you said, our own abilities to drive change. And I really thought that was something to write home about. And not to mention our relationship with science and technology for many of us also evolved. And so did our skills as we pivoted to adjust to this change. So what I'm really hoping to convey with fine print are the lessons that emerge from my own lived experiences, you know, as an engineer, a scientist, a science advocate, a mom, and and really as a human Because nobody can argue that the past two years have been fraught with ups and downs, but I want to share the moments in my journey where I realized some key insights and hopefully they inspire others to think about them. I want to probe just a little bit on something in the fine, which is the feelings, because you've mentioned that a few times and the need for the human connection and the feelings. And I think sometimes as women in a business setting, we feel that we need to sort of hide those feelings or be strong, if you will. But yet when we show our feelings and we are authentic selves, we're better leaders. So any advice for our listeners on that feelings piece? There is no doubt about it that when you connect with your own feeling, your identity, your needs and your experiences and speak from that grounding, you will bring in the authenticity And you will elevate your leadership because you will set the example for others. We feel this sense of incongruence when we have to shift from what we're thinking to what we have to do. And, you know, sort of that code switching or context switching really hurts our authenticity and ability to really engage with the task at hand. So I'm really one of those who says, get in touch as deeply as you can. Understand your biases also, because that also leads to effective leadership if you understand 
not just your feelings, but how you are able to dissect them. So I really think that I would encourage everybody to get in touch with their feelings, dissect them, understand how it can come through in their leadership and bring in that authenticity. And even if it's vulnerability, let it be so, because that leaves the door open for others to do the same. If we continue the way we have, we will not get to where we need to go. These last two years, this experience should not be lost. And that's how I feel about it. I couldn't agree more. It's taken me some work to get comfortable being vulnerable or showing my vulnerability. But when I have, the results have been so much greater than if I would have not been so authentic. So I would just say, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So switching to the second book again, what was really the most challenging part for you? It's exactly what we just talked about. It's, you know, it was a unique experience, right? You know, from our reactions to what was going on, our reflections, our actions. But the idea is that we want to transition towards this next normal and become, you know, better versions of, of ourselves. So I had to get very transparent about my own feelings my own identities, and we all have multiple identities, my own needs, my lived experiences. And that's hard because, like you just said, sometimes we don't want to think about it, leave alone dissect it. And, but that's where real growth comes from. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you examples from every section. In transition, I had to spend a lot of time thinking about how my pandemic logic evolved. And I have to admit as rational as we may like to think it is, there was a lot of emotion wrapped into it. And I accept it. But this was because we were at a time when we were stretched and we were stressed and we were spent. So it's good to know that about ourselves. You know, in reflections, I had to really answer some existential questions like, who are you? Because our nuanced identities, our own consciousness around our identities, they create this complex uh, tapestry. And then you weave with that, you know, our personality traits, our professional journey, our life experiences. And suddenly you have this fabric of our being, which becomes the backdrop for our mindset. And it starts giving color to our worldviews. But 2020 showed us that we constantly need to stretch and we make, you know, sort of need to make sure we're thinking outside our bubbles. We are hearing outside our echo chambers. We're looking for an objective outside-in perspective. We do need our support systems and that sense of community that gives us the safe zone. But at the same time, we have to be open to connect with others, seek connections, and realize that we mutually benefit from that connectedness. So that is so important. And that was hard to think through, especially because we lost one of our teammates. And this is one of those Teams that, you know, we literally talk every day, we meet every week. And many people lost loved ones during this time, and it's hard. And so I talked about how I coped with that situation. Another one is where I talk about my immigrant experience. And I talk about dialectical Eastern thinking, which is in stark contrast with linear thinking that we live by. So confronting all of these seemingly contrasting and complex topics, you know. And then in action, I talk about the experience of, of featuring in Not the Science Type, you know, our docuseries, and just the idea of having your story be told and the range of emotions that you go through, but how it, it res 
you know, strengthen my resolve to take actions and to advance equity in STEM. So lots of things that were hard. I had to dig deep and really get comfortable with my own fine lens. But I wanted to do it so that it encouraged everybody else to do that. Because at the end of it, I emerged, I hope, on a journey towards a better version of me. Well, that sounds like a lot of introspection. So what did you learn about yourself during the process that maybe you hadn't realized before? It's all the contradictions and thought processes and how experiences formulate your thinking and even your acting in times of uncertainty. Because the pandemic was one of those times where there wasn't enough information out there to make quick judgments and even mundane matters became big questions. And even in a house where you're all four family members, you had to reconcile with everybody's actions and talk through everything because everybody impacted everybody else in relation to actions that they may take. So, you know, how to develop own sense of calm through all of that. And not all calm was peaceful. And so navigating through that in your home environment, then navigating your work, you know, working from home suddenly, a rough transition, and how do you be effective and still maintain the social cohesion? So lots of things that I had to think through and uh, wanted to capture in the book so that everybody can think through this and use it to drive change. Because a lot of change happened, but a lot of change needs to happen. And so what can we learn from this experience so that we can all lead change? Yeah, a lot of change happened to us. Now it's taking control and leading that change ourselves, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So what was your favorite part of the book? One of my favorites always is when I talk about my kids. (laughs) I shouldn't say kids, they're freshly minted adults, but I have an essay where I talk about how they called me out on my saying, uh, hi, guys. You know, at meetings, people say, hey, guys, and stuff like that. And they said, how can you do that in a mixed gender meeting? And I also talk about our discussion when they said, mommy, are you virtue signaling? You know, and I had to work through that. And of course, my favorite is when they told me that my book wasn't uh, me stretching as far as uh, my creativity is concerned. They thought it was pretty much uh, in my comfort zone. And here I was thinking, you know, I'm a scientist and an engineer. I wrote a book and they said, well, you know, you're really creative. It's a good idea. They agreed, but like they clearly seemed to think it wasn't creative enough for what I'm capable of. And it really made me dig deep because I thought it was pretty creative. You know, idea of writing a book, publishing it with sweet, donating proceeds for a great cause. And they were proud of it, but they thought I had more creative in me. So there's an essay I write about how they raised the bar on me. And then I tried something. I actually recorded a song that I have written. So you actually find the song lyrics in this new book. And if someone told me that there would be a song out there someday that I would have recorded based on a tune I composed, I would not believe it at all. I just decided to do it. I mustered the courage to confront fear, confront self-doubt, take a risk and be open to criticism and ridicule or even rejection. And sometimes we have to take that next step to just see what we are capable of or whatever it is that the moment demands of you. And what I also found through this exercise is that a sense of purpose helps in taking that leap of faith because I decided that I would do the song for charity. So that sense of purpose became the motivator. It became the protector psychologically, and it also helped me bring others in. 
And honestly, the project is a failure because the song did not raise the kind of funds that I thought I wanted to raise. It's difficult to get the word out. You know, there are so many worthy causes out there. But I write about how it remains the highlight of the pandemic time because I learned so much in the process of pursuing this idea and making this happen. So at the end of the day, this experience taught me that it wasn't about how good my voice sounds, but finding my creative voice. So it's really my favorite essay. And listeners can find my song on playitforward.com. Please download and donate for the cause. And I would say if you happen to know any famous country stars, please have them sing this song. (laughs) I love it. We had talked about the song. I think even in 2020, you were thinking about a song. But you mentioned facing your fears and doubts. And I always like to tell folks, imagine the worst that's going to happen. It's likely not going to be that bad. Even if it is a failure, you will recover, you'll learn something from it, and you'll be able to move on. And I love that you're hitting that head on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it was very scary, especially because I'm, I don't even listen to music. So, you know, how am I going to find, how am I going to find every part of the puzzle that it takes to make this come to life? But I made it happen. And that's what I wanted to live through because that's what we are telling everybody to do. And so I wanted to experience that for myself where I didn't feel that I knew what I was doing, but I still managed to do it. And what really helped was because I thought it was for a good purpose. And that allowed me to really rise to the occasion. And it may not be my best work, but I also want to show that we all can't be good at everything, but it's important to still try. Yeah. And follow your dream. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a couple of times that the proceeds of the book, both of the books go to the J. Sheree Seth Scholarship for Women of Color in STEM that SWE administers. Why is this cause so important to you? For the same reasons as it is important for you, Karen, we want to see more women in STEM, more underrepresented minorities so that all of us can benefit. And I've really had an awakening, you know, in my role, with my experience, with the pandemic, with the unmasking of systemic racism. We all need to do something and we need to do things at societal level and community and government and corporate. But as you and I talked about, we also feel the need as individuals to help across the spectrum. And I call it like the ecosystem, you know, exposure, encouragement, empowerment, education, economics, engagement, equity, underrepresented minorities face challenges across this spectrum, you know, from simple knowledge gaps. They don't know about the potential career opportunities. They may not have enough role models. There's lack of representation. There is limited financial means to actually support a STEM education. There's uh, minimal support and guidance, you know, that may limit their opportunities as they navigate their educational journey. And then there's explicit discrimination. There may be implicit biases. So there's never been a better time to talk about this because the pandemic has really ignited a renewed interest in STEM careers and education. And the public is recognizing that we need more girls and women in STEM because they face obstacles relating to their gender. Seven in 10 people in 3M State of Science Index in 2021 said, yes, there are negative consequences to society if the science community fails to attract more women and girls. And we can just imagine the intersectionality for women from marginalized communities in STEM. It further compounds the challenges. 
And that's why I really feel strongly about that. And we feel strongly about it at 3M also. We produced that docu-series, Not the Science Type, specifically for that. You don't have to be a specific race or gender or ethnicity or nationality to be the science type. We wanted to show that our paths can be diverse, just as diverse as we all are, and science will be better off for that diversity. So bring your interests, shape your roles, pursue your passions, and blaze trails. So I'm passionate about that cause because the world requires innovation. Innovation needs science. Science demands diversity, and diversity warrants equity. Well, that's SWE's mission. I mean, we want to showcase engineering as a highly desirable career aspiration for women. We want to help women succeed and advance. And as you said, regardless of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, we need everybody if we're going to have the innovations to solve the world's grand challenges. This past year, SWE awarded 1.2 million in scholarships. And I think this coming year, it will be even more. So we are grateful for your support and the fact that these books are supporting such a great cause. I have to end with, do we think there's another book in the future? And if so, (laughs) what's it about? Oh, wow. You know, it's funny. My kids said, so what is this, a trilogy now? (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, that got me thinking about the next book. You know, why not? You know, as long as I have your partnership and support, we can do anything. You know, we had an interesting exercise at 3M where we took one of my essays and actually it was our women's leadership forum team. They made a framework out of it. So you can just fill in. So for in in my article in the first book, I had talked about the scope of leadership. And I talked about, you know, the telescope, the microscope, the periscope, the stethoscope and the horoscope. So they actually created this framework and you can write in, what are you doing to keep your eye on the telescope? You know, the long-term vision, what are you doing to keep an eye on the microscope, the current detail of what you need to execute on? What are you doing to make sure you have an eye on the periscope, you know, to see the things that are not in your direct line of sight? And what are you doing about the stethoscope? Are you engaged with your heart? Are you engaging others? And are you leading with your heart? And finally, horoscope, are you keeping yourself grounded? Are you keeping with the humility? Because there's a lot of things that have happened to get you to wherever you are. So it was like a blueprint. So that's an idea I'm playing with. I just uh, loved that exercise. But I really urge your listeners to go ahead and support the two books that are out there in the Heart of Science series now. It's not just what you take away, but also what you give the gift of education. And Karen, like you just mentioned, all these scholarships. And maybe from the bottom of my heart, I'll create an engineering blueprint next. Well, we look forward to working with you on that. I think this weekend you need to get started. (laughs) You're a taskmaster. You've got your marching orders now. (laughs) Well, I do want to remind our listeners, International Women's Day, March 8th, Fine print will be available. Just visit SWE.org, our SWE swag store. You can get your copy, make great gifts. If you know someone working in the field, thinking about the field, maybe graduating this spring, makes a great gift or a gift for yourself to really get some great advice from Jay Shree. So thank you, Jay Shree, for joining us today and for being part of our SWE community. We couldn't advance our mission without you. Thank you, Karen. I feel honored and blessed in our ability to do so. 
So I'm Karen Hording, and for all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to leave us a review and share this episode with your social network. Thanks for listening. 